Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 163 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show has been creating software for several decades. He has trained developers around the world, led extreme programming projects for the US government and eBay, and introduced lean and agile concepts at Google, Guidewire Software, and Apple. In 2017, he refocused on technical training and coaching, both in person and online. So welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast, Ted M. Young. Thank you for uh, having me. No problem. So first thing I wanted to ask you really was, in terms of your experience, obviously you say you've been in, in software for several decades. Are there any real sort of highlights you can draw out of that period? So I, I have been doing coding professionally and the way the way I term professional is if you're getting you know sort of like if you're getting paid you're a professional and so my professional career goes back to when I was just 13 years old my father who was into the stock market and and all what they call the technical analysis where you draw all those charts and lines he had someone else work on a program that could draw those lines on the computer this was back in the days of the Apple II plus and uh, I then adapted that program to, to work better, recoded it. And that program eventually got sold to a company called Dow Jones back when they were selling packaged software. So that sort of was the start of my professional career and actually paid for, for part of college. Right. Okay. So that must have pleased your father. Uh, yeah, he was thrilled because basically not only was it something that helped him, but also was made it easier. I mean, basically it helped him to do what he needed to do and also turn it into a stock market newsletter and have all sorts of fancy charts and being able to customize the formulas. So technical analysis is a whole culture and it's sort of fascinating where people come up with all sorts of crazy formulas to try and predict the stock market, right? Because if you can predict it, you can make a lot of money. You know, that went on for many, many years and uh, really learned a lot about how to make things easier for users. I mean, this, you know, who thought of user interface and the importance of it way back in, you know, the very early 80s and late 70s. But that was something that uh, I think I just did intuitively. So in terms of um, what you're doing now, obviously, you've moved more into technical training and coaching. And so why did you choose to go down that path? So back in I'd say the sort of mid 90s, you know, the early days, really early days of the web. I was doing basically some Java development. And again, this was really early days of Java. I mean, when I was working on it, uh, I was lucky enough to have someone who had a, a Sun workstation because in those days you couldn't actually run Java unless you were running on a Sun workstation. And uh, a friend of mine who I, I knew outside of tech was doing C++ training. And he knew that I was doing some Java coding and the kind of Java coding I was doing was really fairly trivial. Uh, it was sort of the what Java was known for, not in a good way, for creating these Java applets with banners that kind of moved and animated. 
And so that was sort of the, the extent that I'd done Java development. And he had gotten a call from a customer saying, hey, we're looking at this Java thing. Can you do some training? And so he approached me and said, hey, do you think we can work on Java training? And I'm like, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> and, and I was like, all right, sure, let's give it a shot. And what's funny is, is I had always been really very anxious and shy. I mean, I remember in school, I would not speak up. And um, I remember my dad sending me to a course on how to speak, how to do public speaking. And that was just an awful, awful experience. I don't think, I think it actually made it worse for me. But somehow doing the training, I happened to be really good at it. And I had no idea. I was just, um, I was very good, or I seemed to be very good at explaining things. And I think I had sort of an innate em empathy for learning new things because I was doing a lot of learning at that point. There's a lot of folks who say the best time to, to teach is when you've just learned something because you don't yet have that, you know, what they call the curse of expertise. You don't have <laughs> that, oh, everything is just natural and obvious. Don't you know, you know, that this does that? And it's like, no, it's not. Well, you had to learn it. And so when you're sort of closer to that learning part, rather than being the expert part, it makes it much easier to, to teach. Yes. And so I think maybe I had that going for me. And we grew that business and we were doing Java training and I loved it. It was, it was funny because we were trying to expand the number of trainers we had and companies would always say, no, no, we want Ted. <laughs> um, and that's, that's sort of fairly typical. But I got kind of burnt out on that. And so, you know, there was a lot of travel involved. And so I, you know, basically in the early 2000s, I, I basically stopped training and sort of went into the more corporate or big company world of, of eBay and Google and so on. But over the past maybe like four or five years ago, I, I really started to miss it. Uh, I had been doing some training um, as part of the intern program that we were running when I was at Guidewire Software. And I'm like, I love this. And I happen to be good at it. And, you know, people are learning a lot. And I felt like, you know, it was, it was time for me to, to, to try and go back to that. And so I wanted to go back to that. And then a friend of mine uh, who was working for Apple basically described a position that would involve sort of internal training and, and sort of internal consulting. And I was like, oh, you know, here I get sort of the, you know, win-win. I can do the, the training, but also work for a big company that's going to, not to put find a point on it, but pay me a lot of money. Yes. So uh, I did that didn't quite turn out the way that I had planned. And ultimately I, I left Apple and, and that's when I went uh, fully independent as, as a trainer and coach. And so now, now I'm, I'm back doing that and, and, and loving it. Sure. So you've been doing that for a couple of years now as an independent. Yep. Yeah. And how's that been going as an independent? Um, it's been hard to, you know, uh, I kind of sort of jumped ship without sort of any safety net. I happened to work with a, a company who subcontracted, and, and so that worked out well. But I think I got a little lazy. I think I was like, oh, I don't have to do anything. They'll sell it, and I'll just go teach. But that hasn't quite been as sustaining as, as I'd like it to be. And so I've now put some more effort on doing some more, you know, the typical things you have to do as an independent and market yourself and sell yourself. And it's also a very long-term investment. I think that's something that I had forgotten and, and I'm being reminded of, uh, you know, you're building a brand basically and uh, doing that takes time. It does. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so Ted, can you perhaps share with us a career tip 
that the IT career energizer audience may not know and perhaps should? Um, I'm not sure if people don't know this, but I, I get this asked a lot. So I do, I do a lot of training in companies where it's sort of the new college graduates, right? They just joined the company as their first job out of school. And I get you know, lots of questions from them. It's like, what should I do with my career? How long should I stay here? And things like that. And I'm basically saying, stay here, stay here at this big company for a couple of years, get comfortable with working in large companies, understanding all the different things that that you can about how the company works. Um, but it's a good place to start because you won't, you'll be able to focus more on your team and what you're developing. Then join another big company. Don't stay at this one too long, like you know, two years. Don't don't stay too long. Even if you love it, you can always come back. And that's kind of the funny thing is like you can always come back. But I think it's important to get experience at other companies. And so I say like, okay, then join another big company for another couple of years. Then at that point, you'll have you know four years at big companies. You'll have gotten you know salary bumps when you switch companies because that's really the only way you can get them for the most part. And then you can decide: Do you like the small companies? Maybe you want to look at them. And you'll have a bit more freedom because hopefully you'll also have been saving money. And so you'll have a bit of a financial cushion that you can take a job that might be more risky. And if you end up saying, you know what, I like the bigger companies, you can always go back to a bigger company. Sure. So you, you obviously touched on the dynamics of working w- within a larger organization as well. So were you thinking about not only the sort of the relationships that you develop within your your team with your coworkers, but also how you interact and relate to the company as a whole. Yeah, and I think it's 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 really useful to see that you have to sort of rely a bit more on influence at a bigger company because you're not only might have to convince people on on your team that maybe something is that the team should be working on, but also um, how do you deal with your manager? How do they deal with their manager? How do how does your group typically in any large enterprise you're going to have your group is is either consuming or or feeding information or projects or coordination and so there's a lot of you know for better or for worse there's a lot of coordination that happens and understanding that i think is is really important in seeing how companies succeed or fail in that way um, unfortunately most of them don't don't do a great job but it's it, it is a hard problem of coordinating multiple multiple teams and so really being observant and and sort of being a sponge at that point. Yes. Yeah, very true. Okay, Ted, can you perhaps share your worst IT career moment with us and perhaps what you learned from that as well? Yeah, um I've had a couple <laughs> as 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 I think you will over any any career that's been as long as mine. There was one that that I always think back to which is Gosh, at least 15 plus years ago when I was at eBay, we were working on an internal tool to manage what was called attributes at that point. This was a new thing. The idea that, you know, you want to search for digital cameras. I guess when you search for digital cameras back in the day, um, you want them to know, oh, I want a four megapixel camera and I want the LCD screen to be two and a half inches, right? Those were the attributes of the thing you're looking for. And up until that point, there was no way to do that. You know, you'd have to maybe do a search in a description. And so they were introducing this idea of having these predefined attributes on the product so they could make it easier for you to search for things. Now it's sort of commonplace. You see this all over. But back then it was it was pretty new. So this was um, a completely new team, a new internal tool that was developed. And 
it was going really well and it went really well. We had deployments um, internally for some reason. And I, I, I'm sure I had really good reasons for, for pushing us to do this was to push or to try and change the way we were reading and writing from the database. Right, some really technical thing, but we were actually using some library that had been used more for the website, so more for eBay.com rather than this internal tool. And it, it it always felt like a not a great match, and we always had to sort of work around it. And I was like, hey, there's this new shiny thing called Java Data Objects, which nobody these days knows what that is, but basically it was the first kind of sophisticated object relational mapper to be able to write data from, from memory into, into a database. And I was like, if we switch to this, oh, life will be so much better. I'm sure I, I had added a lot more detail, but that was kind of the gist of it. It's like, life will be grand if we can switch to this. Yes. Clearly, I was good at convincing because uh, we decided to do that. It was one of those where the first, I think, 70 80% went really well. And then that last 20% was like, oh my God, it's like, this is the mountain now that we have to climb. <laughs> we thought we were climbing the mountain and doing great. No, 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 no. We have not hit anywhere close to the peak. And we were working, I, I, we must've been working weekends at some point. And I don't remember how it got canceled, but I was like, it was sort of a relief because I realized, I think, imme- you know, so the immediate aftermath was I was really disappointed and I was really frustrated. But I think it was the best decision to to make at that point. And looking back, I should have known better. But you know, we kind of always say that it's like I didn't know better, but now I do. Right? We learn from experience. And the result was that you know I always think about make sure you don't do these huge, big sort of almost like forklift changes. You know, you're lifting some huge thing and trying to pull out the foundation and, and replace it with something else all at once. Figure out a way to do it piecemeal. Yeah. Um, and you see this today with like, you know, don't break down your monolith and create a thousand microservices all at once. You want to pull pieces off as they make sense, but continue to have the thing running and not have any kind of big bang project where it's going to be three months or six months before you can finally see the result. It's not quite a full rewrite, but anything even close to that just always seems to to be problematic. It was a big failure and, and it did not do me, you know, I, I don't think I stayed around much longer, but it was not it was not a good situation. But I definitely look back on that and say, well, that kind of mistake I, I won't make again. I might do the same thing. I might want to reach the same goal because I do believe that the problems that we were having in, in the code could have been solved. But it's possible that it was either solvable using a different technology. You know, there is that, you know, shiny new new thing that's always appealing. Or we could have done a piecemeal. And I I think I could have led a, a better path to doing that. Um, that didn't require sort of, you can't do anything until we completely shift out this, the engine, basically. That is an approach where you just sort of have to stop until you can fix this thing. Now, sometimes I think that may be necessary, but it, but I think you really, 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 like I can't emphasize enough about like, try to find another way. No, absolutely right. Yeah, I think yes. It's almost biting off too much, isn't it really? Yeah. And it's biting off too much where you're completely in the dark about what's going on. You don't know how close you are to the end because it looks like you're close to the end, but you really don't know because you've pulled the engine out and the car is, you can't drive it and see how is it, is it running because you've pulled the engine out. 
And so if you could take out a piece of the engine, still be driving, maybe not driving as fast, maybe not have, you know, accelerate as quickly, right? You know, that kind of thing, but you're still running. That to me, just keep the system running while you're making the changes. Because then you can always say, oh, well, this didn't work, throw it away. But you've never, you're sort of never in the dark and you're always able to still continue to move. Okay. So moving away from your worst moment, can you perhaps tell us about your career highlight or greatest success? So when I was at Guidewire Software back in the late 2000s, when I had joined, I was, I basically joined as a, as a tech lead for the group and I had been using extreme programming and agile techniques at, at other companies um, and been involved in the community as well. And when I came on board, they were, I, I realized they were using some of the words of Scrum, but really not any of the, the actual concepts, not any of the, the real ideas behind it. Um, they had sort of this idea of you know doing things in monthly Scrums, but there was no sort of, it wasn't a real bright line between one starting and one ending. And so one of the things I did was start to slowly introduce, hey, I did this thing at this other company. Can we try that here? And I was really lucky that my my manager, the dev manager for the team, was really open to, to those kinds of things. And so I was able to introduce some really good agile practices. Um, and I know that gets a lot of bad press these days, but we were really doing a lot of experimenting using lots of index cards and, and uh, introducing concepts like work in progress limits. Yeah. And just over time, making just us more successful and, and, and feeling like we had a better sense of, of what was going on. And so much so that then the other teams in the company looked to me to sort of be the de facto coach and introduce them to uh, the concepts. And I made some mistakes there, uh, was too, a little too prescriptive, but I think overall it was you would walk in one day and you'd see, you know, these story walls all over the place. And, and I could basically say, that was me. Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. So you're able to actually focus in on particular problems or areas where you could, you could make a difference or make an impact that would actually be beneficial. And not only was it where I could say, oh, I think we can improve this, but I was allowed to do that. And I think that was, I was lucky in, in, in that regard because there's a lot of times when that supportive culture was there for you to enable you to do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So Ted, can you perhaps tell us what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? You know, I, I, it was funny. I think back to when I was, you know, in my early days of, of doing development and even the early days of, of like when I was training, it's almost pre-web. It was really hard, not just to find information, but to find sort of other people to talk to, like a community. And I think one of the great things that we have today is, is, is almost an overwhelming amount of not just information, but community. I've always been fascinated by and also sort of starting communities, because I think, you know, especially with everybody being remote or, or being sort of disconnected, I think uh, things like meetups and what we used to call user groups are still really important. And I think being face-to-face -face and talking with somebody and being able to either share concerns or ask questions or get advice, I think because software obviously is, is so much more important you know, today than it was you know, 20, 30 years ago, there are just more people involved, but there is more and more community. And 
you know, there's always the bad things about social media and, and things like Twitter, but I think, you know, focusing on the good things about being able to interact with other people who, who sort of understand what's going on. And so it's not a technical thing. I think just the fact that, that there's just more people involved and therefore more people you can sort of find your group is really something that I think enabling that, you know, things like meetup.com is really great. I think it's, it's something that I wish I had had, you know, when, when I was sort of entering the industry. Yeah. So you, you feel it's more inclusive now than it used to be. It's, and it's not just inclusive. I think it's just a matter of sort of critical mass. There were people doing it when I was, you know, entering industry, but, you know, and I was part of a design pattern study group back in, in the early nineties, you know, so I was able to find a group, but I was lucky enough to be in a place where, you know, that was New York city at the time. I was, you know, so it was easy to find, but the fact that, you know, places like Columbus or Nashville or places, you know, like that, that may not have had the critical mass where you could find somebody else who was also doing tech stuff 30 years ago. Now it's almost an overwhelming amount of choice. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. You ready for this? All right, I'm ready. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? Well, I think it goes back to when when I was first developing, you know, first became a professional software engineer back at 13. I loved it. And I'm like, I get paid for this? How lucky am I? And I, I was always doing, you know, interesting things. And so it was just... You know, I I love the coding and and the problem solving and and just working on interesting things. Worked on you know a legal search engine back before the the web existed. You know when CDs were how you put pushed information around, and so just was always able to find both things that I'd love to do and the fact that I could get you know paid nicely for it. You know, not to say it never felt like work, and not to say it, it doesn't ever feel like work, but but that there's a certain joy in, you know, especially for me today in, in sort of sharing that knowledge, which I do just a lot. I love to sh- love to share that, share that knowledge. And I think that's why uh, I've been drawn back into training. What is the best career advice you've ever received? So I was taking a class on coaching the agile team in like the mid to late two thousands. And uh, I remember it was very direct advice. Like you should be a coach. <laughs> it was such like, you know, I mean, it, it certainly came later in my career, but the idea that, cause I think that there was always a part of me that was like, am I good at this? Do I know what I'm doing? Are people benefiting from, you know, the training and coaching that I'm giving them and, and to be told by, by someone to say, you should be a coach was just like really, you know, sort of affirming that, that I was sort of doing the right thing. Yeah, Absolutely. And conversely, what is the worst career advice you've ever received? Um, and so for better or for worse, this came from from my dad and, and he said, go work for, you know, a financial firm. Cause this was, you know, I was I was in New York, it was, you know, the mid early mid nineties. Uh, and he says, you know, and I'm like, at that point, to be in software, pretty much your choice, you didn't have much of a choice, is you know, work for a financial firm or go independent, you know, do something else. Yeah. And, and so the advice of going to work for a financial firm, that just was so unappealing. Um, and I'm glad I didn't because I've done some coaching and consulting for those and I just would have been so unhappy. And I, I sort of understood it. Like you want to make money, go work for a financial firm, but it just would have, would have been horrible. So 
If you were to begin your IT career again in today's world, what would you do? I think I'd focus on some areas that I've sort of sidestepped because I was never comfortable with them. Like I remember for the longest time, I had avoided really getting to know how to use databases and complex SQL. I, I was always able to find either a way around it or somebody else to do that work. And I think really getting a good grounding in just databases, because even though we're like the whole databases have sort of exploded into different little pieces, but I think really understanding how that works um, is something I, I would spend more time on today. And learning more languages. I mean, I've been you know lucky that, that Java has sort of been rejuvenated over the past five years, but I also look like I wish I had learned C++ back in, in the day before, before Java, because I think that that would have helped, but I was sort of, uh, I felt like I could never learn the pointers and, and dereferencing pointers and all that kind yeah. of stuff that, that I, that I basically avoided it. Right. So, but I think I, I would, I, if I were to start today, I would, I'd be like, all right, let me just push forward on this. Cause I think I can get it. Yeah. That's always a difficult one because obviously that's in hindsight. Um, yeah. and it's difficult necessarily to know what the, what the right, right language maybe to focus in on is. So, yeah. I think it was a tendency to like, if it wasn't easy, I avoided it, you know? So it's not a technical thing. It's just, you know, what am I avoiding? What am I afraid of? Let me find someone to help me and let's do it together. Like, you know, the whole don't go it alone kind of thing. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? Obviously the, the training, the coaching, and one of the things that I've been doing a lot of is there's a, a growing number of folks who are live streaming their coding. And Suze Hinton, who's known as NoOpCat, uh, was one of the first live coders that, that I saw. And I was like, that's really cool. And so back in January, I started doing that myself. And I've been spending a lot of time doing that, you know, and not just with sort of predefined things. This is, you know, watch me code. And it's not just watch me type. It's I broadcast, you know, sort of what I'm thinking and say it out loud and if my viewers say, hey, what do you mean by this thing in line 23? Or what are you doing over here? It can be a little bit of a conversation. So I've been actually spending quite a bit of time focusing on that. Right. Because if, you know, as I said before, it's like, I love, I love sharing that. And I love showing also that, you know, I've been doing this for a while and I still have to look things up. I still have to, you know, I still <laughs> yes. make mistakes. I still go off, in, you know, down into rat holes that, that, you know, I basically three hours later realized I've achieved nothing kind of thing. But I think it's important to, to share that side of it because it's all too easy to see some of the screencasts that are edited. And, you know, I produce those myself because they have a different purpose. Um, but it's always, you know, easy to see those and say, oh, you know, they magically knew everything. It's like, no, not really. <laughs> they had to spend, you know, a day playing around with it until they could get it right and figure it out. And then they could talk about it in five minutes. Exactly. Yeah. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Um, so something that that I, I thought everybody knew how to do that turned out to not be the case is sort of systematize things, come up with processes. And I know it's kind of funny to say that because people always are afraid of process or think process is bad. It's like, no, maybe there are processes that are bad or that that aren't, aren't you know, don't adapt to the situation. But I remember when I joined... Apple, a lot of stuff was handled by email. And I'm like, we're asking sort of common questions for these internal customers. Can we like systematize that in some way? 
And it's one thing when you're when everything is totally new and you're trying to figure out what questions to even ask. But after a while, you you want to systematize that. And so that's something I've always been naturally good at in creating questionnaires and checklists and things like that. You know, even in non-computer stuff, but um, it's so widely applicable. And so that's something that's that's been really helpful. And also to realize that you first need to sort of do it, you know, the hard way and figure out what you need to do before you can systematize it. Yes. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? I think it goes back to, at least recently, the the, the live coding. I think it, that really energizes me. I, you know, the fact that you know, I'm not just coding alone, you know, sitting in front of my computer and, and, or even sitting at a cafe where I have my headphones on or something, but coding and actually then having people say, oh, that's cool. Or can you explain this and, and sort of feeling less alone. And so that, 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 that really energizes me. Although it is on the other hand is also very exhausting because <laughs> after, after three hours, I'm like, okay, I think I'm done for the day because that was three hours of focused very, you know, speaking out loud the entire time. And so that, that can be a little exhausting, but yeah, but it absolutely. Is, it's a mental exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, it keeps me motivated to, to keep doing it. And uh, what do you do in your spare time away from technology? I do distance running. You know, I live in the Bay area. And so one of the nice things about, about where I live is I can literally put on sneakers, walk out the door and I'm running in a, in a, in a beautiful environment. That's usually, except for the past couple of days, usually very temperate and uh, yes. not, not too hot, not too cold. And so, you know, get to catch up on my music and, and just not think about, about tech. Although I do use my, my Apple watch and other stuff to, to track me. So there's that. But, oh, okay. Uh, so you don't, you do it for fun as opposed to any sort of competitive edge to it? No, I, I know I will never be in any kind of competition. And, and I always look at it as like the only person, it, it's kind of funny. It's like there's whenever two runners meet there's always one that says oh i'm not you know i'm kind of slow and and it, it always kind of i had i had to start laughing after a while because i used to be part of running groups and it's like oh i'm kind of slow so oh, yeah what's your pace like eight minutes like wait a minute that's fast like because it's all relative <laughs> yes. and and so you know it's like no no don't say you're slow or you're fast because everybody says they're slow that's, yeah. that's kind of the joke it's like everybody says they're slow <laughs> Um, it's like, look, I run a 10 minute pace right now. And that's, that's, you know, and so I only compare it against, you know, myself in, in the past. And that's one of the things I like about the tools. Um, so I use Strava for, for tracking that and basically tells me like, uh, you're doing, you're doing well and you can, you can sort of track where you are and, and see how you're improving and sort of like, you know, uh, I've gotten injured. And so recovering from that injury, you know, it's like, okay, I'm not quite back to where I was before, but I'm getting closer. And so that's kind of motivating in its own way. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And Ted, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career energizer audience? Yeah, so it's something that that's crystallized for me as I've done a lot of training, which is check for understanding. I also see this with with my son who's fourteen, and sometimes you know you'll explain something to him, and it's like, did you understand? Like we typically do this as parents, like, did you get that? And then they'll just say okay, <laughs> and it's like, well, how do you know they got it? So checking for understanding, and it works both ways. One is, you know, if you explain something and it's important that you you know that they understand it, it's like, you know, figure out a way to to get them to to paraphrase it back or to be really observant about how they're using what you told them. So what I mean by that is if you explain something to someone or you just mention something, you want to make sure that 
that they understood that concept or that thing. Because we throw around so much jargon or just make assumptions about things without really checking to see if the other person is working with the same background information. Sort of the flip side of this is if you feel like at all you're you're not quite understanding what somebody else is talking about, then just ask. There's a big fear for that. And I, I you know, I suffer from that myself because it's like, oh, I don't want to interrupt or everybody else knows, so I must know. And it turns out that actually no, not everybody else knows. Yeah, the chances are if you feel that way, somebody else will as well. And it's anything from just, you know, not understanding a concept to somebody showing some information, you know, in some presentation in, in an internal presentation and and it's like numbers don't add up. Um, I've been in that situation. I'm like, uh, those numbers don't add up. Is that is am I missing something? And so it's like, you know, and I was like, oops, no, actually they don't add up. That was a mistake. But nobody else said anything. There were, you know, a dozen other people in the room. Why, you know, so don't be afraid to to be that one person because the other people are thinking it too. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? So Twitter is one of my main places for communicating with the world. So uh, I am Jitter Ted, J-I-T-T-E-R-T-E-D on Twitter. And also twitch.tv, which is where I do my my live coding. I'm Jitter Ted there as well. So I'm definitely on brand. And I have uh, my website, which is at ted.dev. So I was actually surprised that I was able to get that domain because when the .dev domain names came out, they started out some $4,000 price. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be able to get ted.dev because like, you know, TED Talks or somebody else will get it. And nobody grabbed it. And the price went down and still nobody grabbed it. And finally, it went down to a price low enough where it's like, all right, now it's worth it for me to grab it. So I grabbed it. And it right now it just forwards to my tedmyoung.com site, but now now I get to to use a shorter domain name. Yeah, great. Okay. So Ted, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah, same here. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening in to today's episode and to my guest career tips, advice, and experiences. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e, and then the number of today's episode. And a quick reminder that the show has now three episodes every week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So make sure that you are subscribed to the show to get new episodes automatically downloaded. Also, don't forget to join the IT Career Energizer Community Facebook group. You'll get to engage with other like-minded people get to find out more about upcoming guests and other episodes and can get involved in the future direction of the podcast. It really is a great pleasure to be able to talk to so many inspirational people from across the industry and to be able to share their stories and advice with you. Thanks for listening and remember if you're not growing your career you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.